Let's be honest. How many times have you chalked up a relationship ending to bad timing? For hosts Nancy and PJ Heslin, the answer is a lot. It took living separately in Canada, the U.S., and France, two divorces, and 20 years for timing to work out. And when it finally did in the south of France, the couple discovered they had two different versions of their love story. We all do, right? But what if your side is not the whole story, and you have the journals to prove it? Keep listening to Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together, a podcast on love, relationships, and two lives in between. This episode is brought to you by the Pan Lagos Foundation. Pan Lagos is based in New York City, and they are a nonprofit cultural organization founded on the ideals of Hellenism, dedicated to the betterment of humanity by supporting intercultural dialogue and exchange through the Hellenic language, education, and ideals, providing opportunities for the pursuit of excellence to individuals of all ages and backgrounds, bringing the wisdom of the past in dialogue with the present. We aim to inspire a happier, healthier humanity for today and the future. Welcome to episode seven of Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together. I'm Nancy Heslin. And I'm PJ Heslin. First off, a couple of announcements. Thank you so much for helping us get to 2,000 downloads. Yay! PJ's favorite sound. (laughs) Also, we just wanted to say that instead of releasing back-to-back episodes on the 11th of every month, we're going to release one episode on the 11th and make you wait till the 23rd for the second episode. Um, we just found that when we release back to back, a lot of the directories just push listeners to the latest release. And even Alexa, when you say play Nancy and PJ finally get together, it plays the last episode. So we wouldn't want you to miss any Don't part of miss our story. A one juicy morsel of this delicious <laughs> podcast. And, um, and the other thing we've done is we've introduced our first guest episode. Last month, we started with Ryan and Sophie of Ryan and Sophie Sailing. What did you think of that, Paige? I thought it was great. They are friends of ours that we've known for quite a while, and they live on a boat all the time, which to me is both a dream and a potential nightmare. Our next guest episode will come out at the end of the month. We're not going to actually set a release date for those because it will vary. Because sometimes people are busy, PJ. Oh. The next one is Roberto and Natasha. They uh, live near us and they started a really cool microbrewery in Nice and have gone on to release Sext Seltzer. Is that the- Sexy as it sounds. Place that we went to a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. They had the, the hot the, dogs. And yeah. The, oh, that beer's good. Yeah, PJ, PJ's memories are napped by food, <laughs> food and, and booze. Anyway, you can uh, check out their episode at the end of March. So let's get on with our story. I've had a few people ask a few questions. One is that, you know, it's all great and dandy that you guys are happy, but there's lots of people out there that haven't found love and relationships and all that stuff. So all I can say is keep listening. We yeah. are only three years into 20 years, and it gets, it takes a turn at very We're happy places. now, but there were decades of not, so not happy. being happy. And the other- Unhappy apart from each other and unhappy in our lives and trying to figure stuff out. But the other question people ask me is how I kept, I think I have nine or 10 journals, how I kept these journals all these years. And- this brings up today's episodes, the episode theme of, you know, would you tell your secrets? And all I can say is that the journals were the keeper of my secrets. And so I didn't really start out intending to have this series, a chronicle of my life. But every time I finished a book, I didn't want to leave it at home or leave it where somebody could find it. 
because mostly, and, and certainly at that point in my early 20s, one of the biggest things that I was afraid of people finding out was that I really was kind of two people. I was the Nancy that did really well in school and, and got along with people and was very friendly and very much a leader. I had huge respect for people. I was brought up in a, in a world where you respected your elders and where you, everybody had equal dignity. And that was really important to me. And I was really a family person. But then when I was away from all of that, I drank a lot. And I had some issues going on that I was just really ashamed of. And as the shame built over the years, I didn't really know what to do with it. You know, it's, we grew up in a generation where we didn't have the internet and Google and all those things that, you know, if you felt insecure, you had questions that you didn't really want to talk to anybody about. You could just look it up on a computer and try to pick one of 10 answers that suited your situation. So it was really difficult. And the other part was that I'm a very, a highly sensitive person. And during those years, anytime I had a reaction. People just sort of labeled me as oversensitive or that's me being me. Whereas now it's called being emotionally intelligent and it's, it's your EQ, which apparently if you're looking for a job, your EQ is more important to your IQ. Your heightened awareness of other people's emotions uh, plays much more into the office space. I don't even know if there is an office anymore, but I was just reading on CNBC about one millionaire who said that's really what started earning him the big bucks. So Maybe there's hope for me, but that, that's really why I started the journals is because I feel, and I think everybody listening, if you look back to your teens or your twenties, there's probably some secret that you've never shared with anybody. And it, it may not even be something that would change the world if you revealed it, but it's just so far gone. And it maybe has some, you know, you're embarrassed or you just did something that we all do. We're all flawed. PJ, did you have a, do you have a secret? I think I was the... Well, I know I was the opposite of you in that having sort of two different types of lives or personalities or, you know, especially with going out and drinking, drinking is very much a part of my family's culture. You know, like I said, it's, uh, it's Irish and Polish and those are two people that like to have, uh, libations. So that was never an issue. That was never sort of anything that was shunned upon or anything like that, but, and definitely, uh, with Depression. I mean, I, I had, I, I started having depression when I was in high school in the last couple of years of high school. And then in my twenties, um, it, it's, it would be very bad for around about two weeks or so. And yeah, I, I, that wasn't something I talked about. I didn't really share it with anybody. And part of it also was because I'd, I'd had it for most of my life. I just kind of thought, well, this is normal, right? Like if, if the best day you have is like, eh, things don't suck. But did you know that you had depression when you were going through depression? Did you identify that as depression or you just were thinking, oh, I'm off today. I'll go play football. Um, yeah, I, no. <laughs> yeah or no. I mean, it's hard because in retrospect, I look at it and I go, well, that's depression. Like the types of thoughts that I was having and the type of the, the, the serious type of unhappiness. It was more than just a malaise or, you know, that teen angst. Uh, you know, it was very dark. But at the time, I just, A, there was so much going on in my house, so much chaos yeah. with so many kids and one, one parent that there wasn't the time even for a parental unit to say, um, you know, hey, you look like you're not feeling that great. But you, you're really close with your siblings and there was a, a, a gaggle of you. Did, did anyone ever notice or everyone no, was pretty much in their own world at that age? I think it just was, there was a kind of a, 
I think, a stigma around mental health, even for adults back then. You know, the only time you heard about people going to therapy was in a Woody Allen movie or Bob Newhart. Yeah, and it how, was hilarious. Look at how that works for Woody Allen. Yeah. <laughs> really? Why does he still get a free pass? That's a, that's a whole other episode. It's another right? podcast. No applause for that. And I didn't know PJ had depression until much later, like decades later. And now that you know that, when you think about, you know, me being distant or something like that, does it occur to you that maybe nope. that could have been, oh yeah, maybe he's just going through this depression and he's not Mr. Jolly Fun Guy. He's just staring off into the distance. To be honest, I wouldn't be able to go back in time and, and notice that, that because now that I see what depression is mm. with you, I I know you have depression. I can usually tell by a few signs when it's coming. What but, are the signs? Um, you c- become a little bit more forgetful of daily things, like maybe where you would usually put the towel. It's just sort of somewhere else. Just like little things, the routine mm. is a bit amok, but it's not in an offensive way. It's just you seem very preoccupied. But for me, the biggest sign is you get this um, glazed eye look and it's just lifeless. And I can judge how you're doing by just looking at your eyes. And I obviously don't ask you every day, how are you doing? How are you doing? Because nobody, at the best of times when you're in a good mood, nobody wants to hear that. It's banal. But I, I feel like I can really see and it's just heartbreaking because there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for someone you you love. You just know it's okay. Well, I've just got to ride this out. So yeah, I, I maybe when I say things like in the journal, if I went back, I could say, oh yeah, maybe he was depressed. But also, you weren't really the most open, openly emotional person. Yeah, that's true. Even reading through the the journals, if you visited your twenty year old self and really got into the everyday feelings and the things that you were doing. And because you are trying to figure things out in your 20s, you know, you've, you've finished school, maybe high school, uh, university, and, and now you're sort of, you know, transcending into this adult world and it's still new, but you can be so, or at least I was, I don't know about anyone else, but I was so hard on myself um, and trying to be perfect and trying to figure things out. And this period of my life when I was living in Quebec and isolated was, I really noticed looking back how much I put myself down and also it was a lot of weight issues started to come up. And the more I felt down and, and conscious of the things, I had nothing else to think about but my weight and but PJ. And the worse I felt, those were the times that I would sort of, what I call break down and call PJ. And I don't know why, I guess, doing something that made, didn't make me feel good made me feel better or made me feel like I deserved to feel, I don't know. But after our disastrous Boxing Day um, rendezvous, I thought I'd never call PJ again. I went back to Quebec and started a new journal thinking 1993 is going to be for me and I'm going to find new love, I'm going to marry somebody. But I think by the 31st of January, I broke down and called PJ. And looking back, I really wasn't happy. And I don't even know what that meant, happy. You know, I was always looking for new adventures. I wanted to follow my passion of French, but I I felt like I was always, if I read what I was doing, I was always excited to say to people what I was doing, but I was always looking for the next thing. I always wanted to be somewhere else. And in the Boxing Day conversation, PJ had actually said to me, you're never happy with what you have. You know, you always want something more. You're always looking for the future. And of course, I didn't say very nice things back to that. But in fact, it was true. 
Yeah. And I think that's indicative of your twenties. Is it, I look back at my twenties and I just think it always seemed like I was in a hurry, you know, just, okay, get hurry, get out of college. Then, okay. Now do this thing. And I gotta, it's gotta be within a year. I need to be doing this thing and stand up. And after three years, I'll be doing this it, thing. And- just to, just to be safe here to say that, PJ in a hurry. I can't even, as he's standing here talking, I can't imagine PJ in a hurry. Yes, I've changed much since then because now I take things slowly and I take my time. Nancy says when we go for a walk, I'm taking a vacation with uh, sneakers on my feet. Yeah, you never have to worry about being injured when you're spending time with PJ. I mean, at, at our age, you're never going to take a, a, mo- a false movement or run too fast or he has his own pace. But so yes, continue your hurried life, PJ. Um, I, one thing though, you were saying about like visiting yourself or the young version of you. I always think about that as well. Like if at this age <laughs> I had to live with the younger me, yeah. it would drive me nuts. I would just say to my younger self all the time, "Could you just be quiet? Could you just just shh? No, it's quiet time now." You would say that? You are so noisy young, all the time. Young PJ. From the Shh. moment PJ wakes up, there's some kind of singing or there has to be music. And I understand he's happy. So before everybody's like, oh, you know, don't bring him down. No, it's just constant noise. So what the shushing is about, I have no idea. And we do wake up at like no five in the morning. So four. I, I get can, up at four. Yeah, I get up Thank at five. Yeah. And yeah, I can see where you're coming from if you're hearing me sing at five in the morning. But it's not going to change. What was I singing this morning? I was singing something good this morning. PJ is such a a lover of music, but he should have been given a better voice. (laughs) And he doesn't understand because he's tone deaf. And one day I did record him singing Sinead O'Connor, Last Day of Our Acquaintance, and played that back for him. And let's just say he doesn't sing that song anymore. I'm not going to sing it. I don't want to lose our subscribers. No, no. The dog is just no longer traumatized, so let's not revisit that. Um, yeah, so that that is sort of what we were thinking about when we talk about our, our 20s and trying to figure things out. And I'm sure everybody listening has a secret. And it's that it, one of the things, a comment when someone read the, we had a beta reader on, look at our manuscript, and they said that they loved it because it made them, our story makes them ask questions of themselves and revisit their past. And one person said that they couldn't they couldn't come clean they wouldn't be able to really tell the truth of something that happened a long time ago even now i just want to add something about what you're saying about the secrets in your 20s and with that depression yeah like i didn't i don't think i told anybody about any sort of depression that i had at that time but it and it would it was definitely like a environmental factor as well but sometimes something would be going great everything would be going amazing and then all of a sudden I'd just be like depressed, you know, for like at least two weeks. And then, like I said, a lot of it also was environmental, you know, in Toronto, when you've got those long winters uh, and it's the end of a six month winter, that doesn't help, you know, but yeah, it was definitely something that I didn't really tell anybody about. And then I just, but also was like kind of thinking, well, doesn't everybody feel this way? <laughs> but that, but that's the whole point, right? I mean, we grew up where nobody talked. I mean, yeah. And and every time I I did react to things, and I was always sort of dubbed oversensitive. I mean, it, it was very difficult, and you just go within, and you know, you just don't let people see that side of you. And I really felt like I had two personalities for a long time, 
not that I ever thought either was really bad, but it was just difficult that I couldn't bring myself together to just face the truth. And I think when you are in your late teens and even in your early twenties, when you're living on your own, there seems something so difficult about revealing the truth because our living experiences are so limited and our future seems like tomorrow is the most important day that you're just going to jeopardize everything you've built in your life by telling the truth or, you know, coming clean on something. And it's, it's not true, unfortunately, but you don't realize that till you did, obviously get much older. In your twenties as well, did you sort of feel like, okay, if I don't have X, Y, and Z by 30, did you feel that your life would be sort of a failure or you wouldn't reach? No, I didn't feel that. Of- I didn't have that. It would be the opposite. I knew I didn't want those things. And that made me feel like a failure. I didn't, I didn't want the typical, I think I mentioned this before. I didn't, ha- I could not literally, I literally could not envision a white picket fence or being with somebody or having children. I just had something driving me all the time. And I felt like an outsider. And if you add on the feelings of, and, and when you travel around a lot at that age, and most of your friends go to university at that time, went to university and sort of got a job and got married, they may not stay with that job, but that was still the structure of our our 20s. If you're not into that and you're doing something different, you just feel on the sidelines all the time. See, I didn't want to white picket fence, but I wanted to make enough money that I would wouldn't have to work. That was the whole goal. Where did you go with wrong? Entertainment was just like, okay, if I'm on Friends, the wrong a then I can make a lot of money and then I never need to work again. And then I just spend the rest of my life having fun. Yeah, but you worked hard. It wasn't. I did. I did. Uh, we'll probably talk about this in future episodes. But yeah, I worked really hard at trying to not have to work. <laughs> it's like the French that go on strike, but they don't know why they're striking till after. But it's, I don't know, money didn't motivate me. And I think maybe that was part of the problem. I, I'm only understanding now why money didn't motivate me. But um, that's definitely for another episode. So uh, so we leave the story now. Where, what happened? Where are we in the story? We had said goodbye at Christmas. PJ once again skipped a rock across my heart at Boxing Day, telling Oof. me he wanted to stay single. I like that. I Allergy. said, fine. I started a new journal to 1993. And I said, I'm going to find love. I started with a quote from Room with a View in my journal from uh, Ian Forster to say, yeah, my life's going to be great. I know you can't take love out of me, but something's going to happen. And by the end of January, I was just feeling so down about myself. I was living isolated. I was worried. My weight issues really start to come in in my uh, from about age 23. Um, nobody spoke any English where I lived, and there was just wasn't a lot of socializing. I was really down. And the more down I got... For some reason, that would make me pick up the phone and dial PJ on the rotary dial. And the worst part of that is it just made me feel awful. Even if the call was good, I would then get off the phone and go, oh, that was amazing. But generally, I knew it wouldn't make me feel better because I felt weak for breaking down and calling him instead of him not reaching out to me. But I did call at the end of January, and we decided to get together for uh, my February break, which was at the end of February. And as it happened in between... Um, I know PJ was at that time, you said that you were doing a workshop and you were up for some series, I think. Yes. So I don't remember what exactly the workshop would have been, but it was probably some sort of casting workshop in Toronto. Casting directors would have these sort of weekend workshops. And as an actor, it was a great way to get to know the casting director. And 
for them to see, oh, this person isn't crazy. Okay, I'll call them in. And it often worked. Like you, it, you do these things with the weekend, and yeah, next week they'd start calling you in and hopefully get something work. So his life seemed to be coming together quite nicely. And when we spoke on the phone, he seemed quite happy. Oh, and that was, um, I think also that was the time where I was up for that. There was a, a TV series in Canada called Catwalk that also was in the States. And that was Nev Campbell's first big show. So I was up for uh, a series regular on that. And that went on for, God, a couple of months that I kept auditioning. And they were like, yeah, 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 you're going to get it. And then I eventually signed what's known as a deal memo, which is basically saying, okay, you're going to get it. Here's how much money you're going to get. Here's the episodes you're getting. So I was over the moon that I was going to sort of be on this. Hey, that's my expression. <laughs> You've never said over the moon in your oh, entire life. A lot of people say over oh, the moon. Please. So I was over the moon, <laughs> to quote you. And... And then, as would happen many times, yep, doesn't work out. Somebody else got the role and move on. Do you get paid when you sign that? No, you do not get paid when you get a deal memo, but you get to see the amount of money that you're not going to get. Oh, that's good. (laughs) It's really nice. (laughs) That's the worst thing about it because in your mind, you know, it's like, okay, it might not happen. There's a small chance it's not going to happen. So I'm not going to say that I have it. But then in your mind, you've spent the money. You see how much money it is. is, Oh, yeah, I'm going to get this. And then all of a sudden, that just poof, it goes away. Yeah. Magic. Well, as PJ was going off onto this career, I knew I had to dazzle him when I saw him in February. I might lose him to his co host or whatever, co star. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Campbell. Yeah. So, in between that phone call and, and seeing him, the teaching association where I was with Quebec, they had a, I don't know what you call that again, um, a stage. Um, training, a teacher training in Montreal. And so my girlfriend drove and and we went there. And when we came back, I asked her if we could stop in St. Pascal in the town that I had met PJ. I wanted to pick up a special bottle of wine that we had indulged in. Harfang de Neige. We had indulged in in the summer of 1990. And when I say special bottle, I'm not referring to special like people talk about wine now. That it was some unique Top Chilean, shelf. yeah, no. This was a, a special Ooh, bottle of vinegar. Oaky hints. It said on the bottle, it literally said, bottled in Canada. So not even like made in Canada or vintage Canada, it bottled in Canada. So it came over in container ships and they just poured it in bottles in Canada. Harfang Dinesh. Mm. So I did pick up this bottle from the little town that we were in, thinking that my romanticism and my thoughtfulness would win him over. He'd forgive me for not saying yes to his first marriage proposal, and we would be back together. Forget all the things at Christmas and Boxing Day. Um, When I showed up, I gave him the bottle of wine. I don't even know that you said thank you. You seemed so uninterested. I do remember getting a kick out of it. I rem- I distinctly remember you giving me the bottle and I was like, I was very touched. I was like, oh, that's so mm-hmm. sweet that you would remember. Maybe you were in one of your depression yeah. stages and you just couldn't share that emotion. I was smiling. Yeah. This is a PJ's version and there's no written form of this. So. Um, so PJ, why don't you read the journal and tell our audience listeners about how this really went down. I give him the wine. I'm going to tell him again that I love him. Okay, I'm going to get on the page. All right. This is uh, 4th March, 1993. Things are over for PJ and I, and I feel weird. 
He was so down, it was boring. <laughs> okay, I'm glad when I'm feeling depressed, that's boring. Okay, I'm not. I'm not <clears throat> proud of this. I had nothing to say to him and felt really strange. I wasn't attracted to him. What? You weren't attracted to me? As I was at Christmas. Anyways, we stayed at the journey's end, but we didn't really talk too much. Sunday, we went out for dinner, and I told him I didn't want to talk to him again. Do you remember where we went out for dinner? No idea. All right. I would have noted it. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, I'm the cold one, apparently. Uh, Sunday, we went out for dinner, and I told him I didn't want to talk to him again. Ouch. He admitted he has a problem as far as relationships. I'm not happy about any of this, but what choice do I have? So I, t- so I told him how I felt about him and his ego and his life. Oh, there's an exclamation mark at the end of that one. Uh, P- uh, at PJ's that night, something really strange happened. I crawled into bed with him, and we ended up f- fooling around. Then after he was like, let's cuddle. I can't imagine I said, let's cuddle. You did, PJ. All right. It's in the journal. It's got to be true. I actually remember this. Just like the internet. It's got to be true. Uh, And I say no. It just seemed hypocritical to me. Why should we when he obviously doesn't care? Uh, I just slept. Then all I heard was PJ sniffling. And the next morning he got up and started working working right away on his thesis. Oh, yeah, because I was doing my my, finishing up my master's. Uh, And when I asked him to come talk to me, he wouldn't. We didn't look at each other or say goodbye or anything. It was awful. He's just so damn stubborn. Why couldn't things have just worked out? All I ever ever wanted was to love him. What the hell is happening to me? After three years, I'm still a mess over some guy who doesn't give a crap. Why am I such a loser? I feel awful. And he's just untouchable. Well, that's it for this episode. We'll see you next time. Untouchable. Ouch. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and share comments on our social media. And remember, we want to hear your inspiring love stories, so get in touch. This podcast is a complimentary project to Nancy and PJ Learn French, a manuscript currently being shopped to publishers by our literary agent, Wendy York. Thanks to Isaac, Alyssa, and Dustin at Life's Tough Media. In our next episode, PJ gets his first national TV commercial while Nancy heads to the east coast of Canada, certain a new love interest is in her cards.